Welcome to See, Hear, Speak podcast, episode 41. In this episode, I talk with Lakeisha Johnson about Maya's Book Nook, which aims to promote language and literacy skills through diverse children's literature. We also discuss her community-based literacy partnerships and much more. I'm a longtime fan of Dr. Johnson's, so I was thrilled to meet her for the first time to record this podcast and introduce you to her impactful work. After listening, don't forget to check out the website, www.seeherspeakpodcast.com, to sign up for email alerts for new episodes and content, read a transcript of this podcast, access articles and resources that we discussed, and find more information about our guests. And listen to the end for a fun fact about Dr. Johnson. Welcome to See, Hear, Speak podcast. Today, I have Lakeisha Johnson, and I'll have you start by introducing yourself. Hi, everyone. I'm Lakeisha Johnson. I'm an assistant professor at Florida State University in the School of Communication Science and Disorders. Great. Well, I've been wanting to have you on the podcast for some time. I'm so glad I could snag you. I'm a huge fan of Maya's book, Nook, and I thought you'd talk a bit about that first to start us out. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, of course, a huge fan of your work. So it's a pleasure to get to chat with you a bit and to speak with your audience, all your followers. So Maya's book notes started in 2018. And um, so it's been a few, more than a few years, I guess, at this point when I, when I say it out loud. But uh, it really was this idea that sparked, uh, and here we are on the last day of Black History Month, Back in 2018, or maybe 2017, for the first time, Black History Month, uh, Maya was a, a little, uh, almost two years old. And so I was sharing for that month every day on my personal social media pages, I was sharing books by Black authors featuring Black kids. And so, so many people just kept commenting like, hey, I, I where are you finding all of these books? You need to start a website. And I'm like, I don't have time for that, right? Yep. <laughs> As we all say, as busy professors and researchers, I'm like, I don't have time to do a website. So I made it through that February. And then here comes February, 2018. Once again, you really need to make a website. You keep posting all these great books. And so March of 2018, Maya's book nook was born. She was probably uh, close to three at that point. And it really is a merging of everything that I love. So I've always been an avid reader. I was the kid growing up with the flashlight under the blankets. Um, even to this day, if I can't get to the end of the chapter, I'm upset, right? Like my husband's like, we need to go. And I'm like, but I'm so close to the end of the chapter, right? Yes. So I've always been, I've always been that type of reader and lover of books. And so when Maya came around and of course, I mean, she's named after one of the, the great, the greatest authors that, that are there. Whenever I talk about Maya Angelou, I always talk about her being the first Maya that I loved. But when we think about um, how books have just had such an impact on her, and even before she was able to read, it warmed my heart. She loved to be around books. She was always kind of flipping through them, looking at the pictures, pointing, labeling. And so um, it really is a merging of everything that I love. So making sure that we're showcasing 
um, diverse characters with all of these authentic stories about kids just being kids, but also um, these historic and, and monumental events that have happened in history and being able to share that, but not only share the books, but also to share how we can create these strong language and literacy foundations using these same books. So that's really that's really how it started. And it's just been a really fun adventure um, on the website. You'll find lots of books, of course. You'll find themed book lists. Um, you'll also find uh, one of my favorite topics is the Beyond the Book Guide. So uh, I think it's really important to not only, of course, read the books with children. You have to go beyond. So all the things that we know um, as uh, people who are SOPs, speech language pathologists, those who are um, doing any work related to literacy, it's not just the words that are on the page of the book. It's everything you do beyond the book. And so that's kind of that um, concept. Those are freely available on the website, but they talk about things to do before, during, and after reading, um, as well as some extension activities to kind of, you know, make those connections and keep it going after you finish reading the book. You'll also see some author um, interviews that's behind the book. So, you know, being able to talk with authors about how they got to where they are. So it's a really cool, cool um, it's a really cool adventure. Maya wants to do a lot more, but mama's also busy. Yeah. So it's, a, it's been, it's been fun though. It's really yeah. fun. How have you, how have you seen it expand over time? How have you been able to expand it? Well, I think it's expanded in a lot of ways. Right now, um, we're working with a lot more publishers and a lot more authors. So it kind of started with me, just whatever books that were in our home library, right? And we are avid um, users of our local library system. People often ask like, what's your book budget? And I'm like, uh, I don't have a book budget because if I bought all the books that I actually wanted to, we would not be able to live in our home <laughs> because I am ridiculous when it comes to buying books. But we, we love our local library. Um, our librarians know us. Maya has had her own book, um, had her own library card since the age of two. Um, so she knows we have a, a separate place in her room where her library books go. They have to be separate from everything else. So she really has learned about um, you know, kind of that process between libraries and how do we get all of these books. But when thinking about it, um, it's expanded because it, it moved from just the books that we purchased, books from the library, to also working directly with lots of authors, um, publishing companies, uh, and also partnering with other organizations and companies who are interested in working with us to, one, expand the brand, but to also create things that can be helpful for um, families, for educators, caregivers, et cetera. So that part's been really nice. That is amazing. It really has expanded so much. It's so cool to see what you've done. And it sounds great to also hear Maya being more involved too. I mean, three-year-old yeah. to now is, is quite different. So she must really have a sense that this is her book nook. Oh, she uh, definitely does. If she were here, you know, early in the pandemic, uh, I think I was doing an interview around my book nook and she kind of came in and she said, well, can I participate? I mean, it is my book nook. I mean, shouldn't this be my interview? And our, our, local, our local newspaper did an article on us last year and they came over and took pictures and interviewed her. And uh, so she thinks she's a local celebrity. She, she thinks that she has fans, you know? 
Well, she's an international celebrity. <laughs> I mean, like, she's a little celebrity. So it's, it's hilarious. She wants to, um, her, her new thing, she wants to have a book club. Mm-hmm. Um, and she also wants to start to go live reading stories because she's, oh. she's a reader now yes. um, and has been reading herself for a little over, she started really, really reading in about um, mid-kindergarten. So she wants to go live and, you know, she'll have her pretend uh, read aloud time at night where, okay, guys, if you're listening to this, throw some hearts in the chat. Let me know your thoughts. So she, I think she she hears all of our dialogic reading kinds of things, those tips and tricks. She asks questions. Oh, she great. waits for the followers to, uh, to fill in those closed sentences. She's hilarious. I love that. I can't wait to see it. I'll be the first one. I'll be oh, on there. Yeah. Uh, just clear my calendar a little bit more and then we can have yeah. time. For- <laughs> exactly. I know these passion projects. I, I, know, I, I, I think I think that's one of the, the cool parts about it, though, is that, I mean, if I could only do this, I'd be really happy because it it is such fulfilling work. I mean, and we get to connect with not just parents, but other people like you, you know, of course you're a parent, but you're also a, a reading researcher. You know, we get, to, we get to connect to so many different stakeholders. So that part is super, super fun. And, and honestly, I've tried to work um, more smart in the last few years or so to where, yes, it's a passion um, project, but I'm also, uh, you know, junior faculty because while I've been out of school for 10 years, Um, I'm just now really starting. I've been a research scientist for the most part. And so now that I'm in a tenure track position, trying to merge the things that I'm really passionate about, but also working um, in a manner that's smart because I know I have all of these other things to do. So it's been fun. We've started using these storybook guides that came from Maya's book book and a lot of our research projects um, through FCRR. I think I did mention I am the director of the village which is FCRR's, the Florida Center for Reading Research's um, Outreach and Community Engagement Division. So we've been able to make these connections around these diverse books and all of these materials with all of the other evidence-based interventions and strategies that we know are really important for kids learning how to read and for teachers and caregivers interacting with students as they begin to read. I really think that's where the magic occurs when you can take yourself and put that into your work and make it so authentic and connect it to what we're interested in. And also, I think then it also makes it even more accessible to those that we care about because then we're bringing ourselves to it. So I I agree. It's tricky though, to balance all of the, uh, you know, requirements for tenure and the job, but still infuse that passion. So I'd love to hear more about the village too, because that's something that is such an amazing project that you have extension of Florida uh, Reading Center. I'd love to hear more about it. Sure. So the village is just three years old. It was started by Dr. Nicole Patentary and myself. We had worked together previously at Georgia State University in Atlanta with the Urban Child Study Center. So um, Dr. PT, as I call her, PT has been one of my mentors for the last 10 years. So we've spent a decade together, um, first with me doing my postdoc with Julie Washington and then working with her as a research scientist. And then 
luck would have it, we both end up back at SSU. Um, well, her first time here, but me, I graduated from FSU. So being back at FSU and working together. And so one of the, one of the things that she really wanted to accomplish um, when coming to Tallahassee was to create a, a center, a space that was similar to the work that we did um, in Atlanta that was very localized that was also, um, you know, where we could leverage and build some research practice partnerships. And so the village is truly that. We talk about it um, where we are, we really want to make sure we have an impact on our local community. So FCRR, um, as many know, is known through, you know, both locally at the state level, national level, international level. But it does not work for us to have schools that are literally um, within a few miles of our building have so many kids who are unable to read, who have very poor reading scores overall. And I probably passed four schools on my way to work, and two of them um, are in dire need in terms of um, reading performance and, and the, the help that they need in order to ensure that students are reading at, um, at grade level. And so we wanted to ensure that the information, the rigorous research, all that has been developed and um, you know, come to pass around the science of reading, this collection and body of work, that it doesn't stay in a place to where the people who need it most don't get it. And so it's so important to have that um, translational science, and that's really a part of what we do. We want to make sure that the kids that are in the seats this school year, you know, with these teachers this year, how can we take this information and get it to them? And so the village, we call it our three C's. We work with partners in a couple of different ways. Um, and when we go in, we do a needs assessment. Very often, I'm sure you know how this goes when you're in a college town, very often schools, particularly schools um, that are Title I schools, schools with populations that may have lower uh, socioeconomic statuses, what you'll see is that very often they're, they're called upon to participate in research projects, right? Their kids are, their kids, their teachers, they're drained and there can be some research harm. And so, um, we worked very hard in our first year and a half to really just establish relationships. Um, it was essentially a reading tour that PT went on where you were meeting with all of these different stakeholders, administrators, people from the district, even local organizations to um, really find out how could we have a seat at the table, but also bring all of this knowledge to help them meet their goals and to help them. So we always start with doing a needs assessment to figure out what's happening. We ask, what are your issues? It's not me as the researcher saying, hey, I wanna do this cool study on books. It's no, what do you feel are your issues and then how can we help? We design a study based on that. So our three C's um, connect. We wanna make sure we connect them to evidence-based practices. So if that means, hey y'all, we have this money and we need to buy an intervention program around so-and-so for this grade level, what should we do? We can help you think through what's gonna be the best fit for what you um, may need, what you already have in your resource room, because Tiffany, you know there's a whole lot in resource rooms already, and your answer is not always gonna be by another program. Right. So, you know, just having, being a thought partner is really important for us. So um, that's the first C, connect. The second C is champion. 
Um, our local community has so many amazing events around literacy already. FCRR can't hold a vaccine clinic, right? That's not our lane. But when there is a local vaccine clinic on the South side, we can surely show up for the kid part of the event and do some story time, do some read alouds, have those storybook guys that I've mentioned. We can surely impact in that way by being a champion of the activities that are already going on. So we participate, members of our team participate in things like um, literacy nights. One, uh, one of our, one of the other SER staff got to do a um, spelling bee and it was, she was like, that was a highlight of her, <laughs> the highlight of her semester, right? Like some of those things that you don't normally get to be involved in. Um, so just championing the events of the community. And when you do the first two C's, it allows you to be at that last one, collaborate. So because we worked really hard to, one, build up relationships, establish rapport, be seen as an authentic partner, but also um, build a partnership that's mutually beneficial to where, hey, no, we are here for you. What do you need? How can we support you? All of these people then become much more willing to participate in collaboration and collaborative research. So of course, FCR is a research center. We still got to do some research, right? Yeah, we still have to do that part. But when they've when we've kind of shown and proven ourselves as supportive of the things that they're already doing, um, they're more willing to do that. And so FCRR in the village, it's been an exciting uh, three years with the work that we've done so far. Our local community, um, I think, has seen an even bigger value in the work of FCRR. We partner not only with our school district. Um, this is the first time ever that um, our center has a data sharing agreement with our local school district, um, something that's never happened in the past because we built up that trust and that relationship to be able to work with them through a project called Read Up, where we target, of course, reading skills, um, uh, early learning, and special education. So those are kind of the three prongs there. We also partner with WFSU, which is our public media station. Um, other organizations like our local library, um, we partner with Early Learning Coalition, lots of people who are interested and invested in the benefit of um, our children, especially our children who are vulnerable, children who are under, underserved or under-resourced. Mm -hmm. So it's such fulfilling work. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the part that I love the most is that while, yes, we all have all of our other projects that are happening, you know, faculty member all across SCRR from um, all of their various departments and units have their own lines of work. When it's time for kind of an all hands on deck approach, everybody um, really chips in for the village work and it's really become a true village where we're supporting our local schools and our local community. I just, I love it. We're definitely kindred spirits in that way. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, we've been really working with our school partners too, and, um, you know, making sure that we're communicating with them. And what we do first is just that listening period, I think is so critical because what you mentioned is so true. You know, schools are so they're taxed with so many things that they're working on. And right. when you have a researcher come in and say, Hey, I can do this. You know, when we did that, they'd say, well, you're just going to leave. There's, and I, I would almost throw out a, a fourth C, which is occurring already with you. And it's something I focus on is commitment. Oh, they, I love I think, that. Right. Cause they're so used to you coming in. You have a five, three write year, that down. Yeah, you have a three year, five year <laughs> grant. 
you come in, you work with them for three or five years. And then it's like, once the money's gone, then the researcher's gone. And they've gone through that cycle so many times so many and, times. and they don't have, there's no one listening, like really, really listening. And that first step that you did, you know, that's, you're listening to them, right? Mm-hmm. You're like listening and understanding. And I'm, what was the first C again? Connect. Connect, of course. Yes. Yeah. Connect. So that's that connection is where you're just really understanding their needs and then shaping the work that's being done mm-hmm. to meet their needs. And, and it, it is, it does become symbiotic, right? Cause right. You know, ultimately we want to impact practice, but without actually taking practice into account, I've been trying to think about instead of calling it research to practice gap, it's really practice to research gap. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. where the gap is, right? It's what, right. you know, what's happening in practice. What is research doing to help with practice, not the other way around. So many times it's like, well, you, you need to put research into practice. You need to put research into practice, but it really needs to be the opposite. So I'm so inspired by what you're doing. I love that. Yes. Putting, putting practice into the research because it's so true. I mean, we, we have all of the, we have all of this wonderful, wonderful information that never makes its way to our to our practitioners, whether that's SLPs, um, our classroom-based educators, special educators. I mean, I was literally out of school just this past Friday, and they'd never they weren't even familiar with the student center activities, which is one of FCRR's most popular set of resources, and how we started creating YouTube videos. You're in one of those YouTube videos that we started doing all of these things to to be more responsive to ensure that hey you know we we not only want to have these things but we also want to empower parents and families and caregivers that you can be an integral part of this process right and even if there are barriers whether they are language barriers or literacy barriers you can look at this two minute video get an idea of what we did and try this out with your child and and see that all of these people, whether it's a grandparent, an older sibling, everybody has a role to play. And it's, it's so important to have that collective impact. If, our, if we don't feel like there's a collective impact in our communities around this literacy thing, we're going to continue to be where we are right now, right? Absolutely. If everybody's not bought into it. Absolutely. By the way, I forgot I was in one of those videos until you just mentioned it. Is that fun? <laughs> I've never watched it. <laughs> it was one of those situations where Nicole's like, can you make a quick video? And I was like, sure, why not? I'm home because it was during the pandemic. And um, yeah, I would think it was with my seven-year-old who was probably five or six. I need to pull that up. Here's the thing. Here's the thing that's so cool about it. We did those videos because people, we, we, we wanted to be responsive to the times in terms of COVID. It was kind of some of our COVID response things. We had a school partner that said, I'm really concerned about how we're going to get our kids access to to books and to materials. So we designed a study. Um, Please Read was the name of that study where we um, we literally mailed 225 families books over five weeks with high quality activities. Those student center activities with a QR code to the YouTube video. We texted them links to those videos. storybook guides, all diverse books, all these materials. We literally mail. I mean, I was dropping stuff off at UPS weekly. They knew me. I'm like, if I don't have to order another thing or print another UPS label, I will be so glad. But we were able to do that because we, and we were able to recruit that number of families just based on a principal saying, 
y'all should do this because there was no we come into your school and bring a stack of consent forms everything was already shut down it was literally here's what we can do and y'all really have to help us recruit and they were able to do that which was so amazing and they they want us to do it again so it's one of those things where we don't know if we will because it's a it's a heavy it's a heavy lift having to try to do that kind of a project but um I think it's just so impactful because we've done those videos and now we use them for so many different reasons. We've been doing um, lit drops in some of our pre-K sites. And so we, we purchase these books, we create the storybook guides, we have the videos, we, you know, we have all of these things. Even our local library um, did parent literacy nights where libraries have the make and take bags. They threw some student center activities in there, some other little kinds of manipulatives that are really good for um, kids headed into kindergarten. And then we literally got on Zoom because this was still um, early 20, this was early 21. And we got on Zoom and actually modeled all of these things. We showed those same videos and then your, you parent with your child right beside you. Come on, we have all the stuff. Let's cut it out. Let's do it right here on Zoom all together. And it was really phenomenal because not only have we now provided just this thing where people all over can find it, but this is something that's making an impact in our local community that we can continue to use these things because the other part of the work in the village that we always talk about is sustainability. Um, the village started as two, Nicole and I, it was just us. And so you can imagine once word starts to spread, like, hey, there are these researchers, they're coming, they're meeting with us monthly, they're talking, they're helping us think to our MTSS system. Oh, Nicole told me she did a, she did a um, PD session. Lakeisha came and did the literacy night and they're helping us plan our Read Across America thing. You can imagine that word starts to spread and everybody now wants that. And so one of the things that our goals for this year has been sustain- sustainability. And so um, I'm now working directly with all of our elementary reading coaches for a top-down approach because I can't go to everybody's school. We still have classes, students, other projects. And so monthly, now I do PD sessions and continuous things with our elementary reading coaches. So then they can trickle down that information to all of the educators that are there. um, And they really get to, to get they get to almost have an office hours, you know, kind of a time with us, our team, because now we have three other um, researchers that have joined our team, but they get to have this time with us where they can ask those questions, questions that they didn't think they had access to us to be able to say, hey, I've tried everything. I've tried corrective. I've done all these interventions. Can you help me think this through? It's really, uh, it's really exciting for me to be able to, to be that kind of a partner and to be thoughtful in the way that you're talking about with your work as well. It's, it's so impactful. And our students are seeing it too, right? Because our master's students, our doctoral students, they've been heavily involved in this process. And we're raising up more researchers who are really going to be invested in the communities that they're working in. I think that's the best part in, in many ways is just this impact we're having on future generations because my doc students are the same. They're all in postdocs, they're seeing it and they don't know it any other way, which that's mm-hmm. the best way to be, right? Because if you know it from the beginning, that this is the connection you make in the community you're in, then you don't look at it any other way. I mean, you, you know, that's you and true. I were trying to do the work and there's never even a thought about 
you know, trying to make it sustainable. There's, right. and I think that's why I've been so drawn. I know you are too, is to implementation science and that whole process. You mentioned needs assessment, mm-hmm. you know, really working up front to create a project in situ, like right there, meeting those needs. That's a different way of doing science than right. I was trained. Right. And, yeah. and I think, Absolutely. right. And so I think that, you know, getting more involved in that way with our students and the future generation of scientists to make that impact and know how important the stakeholders are from minute one. And I think also creating a path in which we still meet the requirements of tenure and you know getting grants and publications, but doing it in a way that still mm-hmm. involves our community is just, it's, you know, it's something I think about a lot and I'm really inspired by what you're doing in that way. Um, we had something kind of similar. So during COVID, right when we knew the school was shutting down, we were in our local school with after school programs. Mm-hmm. And um, we, I went to Barnes and Noble and like bought every possible book I could. And then we organized it and took it and the principals uh, and the assistant principal uh, and the, the staff in the school walked it in the community because it's a smaller, more dense right. urban area. So they could literally walk it. So they would just spend the days walking to the kids' houses and dropping the books wow. off. And then we saw them on Zoom too. But it's great because now that these things are set up, you know, I could put, I'll put it in the resources because then the listeners of this podcast can go get those resources and recreate Mm -hmm. what you're doing in their community, meeting their special needs. So it's really starting a fire that just keeps going right and spreading. So it's, it's so exciting to see that from, from the village and Maya's book nook and everything that you're doing, there's just so much work to do. And even though COVID was horrible and in in every possible way, Mm -hmm. um, if there is any silver lining, I think it is, I, I know it forced me to think more about sustainability and adaptability, right? uh, Right. In a different way. Adaptability is key. Adaptability is key because I'm sorry, when all this stuff started happening in March of 2020, they did not care about us coming in and doing this little study on XYZ. That was not important, right? We went, especially when you're dealing with schools that have so many other things that are impacting these kids from before they even get there, these community factors, these home factors. You know, some of our schools that we work closely with have parent have parent rooms where there are laundry centers where parents can come in and do laundry. There are food pantries. They provide multiple things. You know, they have extra snacks in case the kids get there late and miss breakfast. They have other things available, non-perishables for them to still eat. When we're thinking about food insecurity, um, the digital divide, and that was one of the things with our project. We wanted to ensure that no matter, you didn't need a computer to do any of this stuff. We put stuff on YouTube because everybody can go to YouTube on their cell phone, right? Like we, we, we were really intentional around thinking about the communities that we work with most closely, how they could benefit from it. Everybody can benefit, but of course, how do the most under-resourced and underserved benefit from this? Um, because some of those things just, they just, things that we see as priorities in our research world are just not top tier when you're in a pandemic, right? They're, those are not the things that are important. And I think as researchers, we have to be able to think about how we can pivot in such a way to where you're still doing work that's rigorous. You're still doing, but it's a different mindset when you're doing research in this way and thinking about how you can continue to move forward the science, but also 
really make an impact on these kids, these families right now? Absolutely. <clears throat> I, I couldn't agree more. I, I just, it's, yeah. it's so great to see it happening. Um, uh, and I think that uh, it just needs to be this way now, you know, this is the way it needs to be. And it doesn't, you know, when I was trained, it was almost like you, it was more linear in mm-hmm. terms of the process, right? It was like, okay, first you do your little study and then you do it in the lab and then you see if you can get a school partnership and try it there. And then you, you know, you just, it's a linear process, but what I've been thinking more, and I know you are right there with the village is it's really a circular process right? where you start right. with the needs and you just kind of iterate through, mm-hmm. but you don't have to wait. Right. To work and you're constantly people. refining, right? Yes. You're constantly yes. refining yes. that process and it's okay to go back to the drawing board. Everything's not going to be an RCT. Yes. This is not. <laughs> exactly. And I, I have to, and I mean, I, I have imposter syndrome, like crazy, you know, and I, and I, and I know that at some point we all do right in some of these spaces and we see some of these studies, especially at a place like FCRR with these massive sample sizes, these huge projects with millions of dollars. And then I have to remind myself of, you know, with what I value most in the, in, in what I'd like to leave behind in the work that I'm doing, it may not look like that and that's okay. Yes. And so that's, I think, if nothing else, for those students who may be listening, who are thinking about what they want to do in terms of research and um, the impacts, you have to figure out what type of researcher you want to be and what, what you want to leave. And, and I'm constantly thinking, this kid, because I, I worked in the schools, I was a school-based SLP um, in a Title I school right here in Tallahassee. Um, for the first three years of my doc program, I worked in a school without a cap on caseload. So I had part-time 45 students. I was a part-time SLP with 45 students mm. on my caseload. Mm. And so I understand, you know, what's happening and I've, I've been in these communities. And so I'm, I'm super, super passionate about ensuring whatever the work I do is going to have an impact. Even if it's incremental, it's something that's going to impact these people. And you're putting yourself into it because I know that for the first part of my career, I spent so much time looking for a role model and it would be, it would go like this. Oh, I think that person's a lot like me. And then I would have like tick boxes. Did they do this? Did they have this? Did they do this? Mm -hmm. And it was like, nope, they would always fall short, but not fall short as much as they just weren't me. But I was always looking for that role model. And what I realized is that that was a fruitless effort because Mm -hmm. there's really no point in doing that because it also then negates what you have to offer. Because why do I, why do you want to like look for someone and then just follow exactly what they did? And I think that's different than a mentor, right? A mentor will help you become who you are, Mm -hmm. what's unique to you. But I was really looking for like the role model. Like I just want that path. You know, and but I it's so much of our training. That's how we're taught though, right? Totally. We have these models. We have these yes. models for how to do it. Find this, find this article, do write it exactly how, you know, we have these models that we yes. go to. And so it, it only makes sense that we yes. look to that to see who you want to be when you grow up. Like people yes. still ask me that. And I'm like, I don't know. Who I want to be. <laughs> but, but it's, it's really not, it doesn't do us a service in the end. I mean, I can say that now having gone through this a bit, but it's like, it doesn't do you service in the end because in the end you want to infuse yourself right. and what you see and what you can offer 
into that position and no one's done that because no one's you and no one has your perspective. You know, when I was a doctoral student, there was this, uh, I took a class on like basic cognitive psychology. And one of the experiments I remember so clearly, I think relates to this. And I took a lot of solace in it is that they would have kids draw pictures of birds Mm -hmm. and think like, what is a bird? And there was a pretty standard representation of bird but that bird actually doesn't exist in the real world at all. It was just like a combination of all the features of a bird. The closest thing would be like a Robin, but truly this bird doesn't exist. And I think that's how I, I think in our careers, we have this vision of what we think we need to be, but that's just us pulling all these pieces. That bird doesn't exist. What it is, is the uniqueness of all the birds together that then come to, you know what I mean? So I love I, that. I love it that. really gave me a lot of solace when I thinking about that and thinking there is no perfect answer. It's really just putting it together and to see what you've created there. That's mm-hmm. not been done before. Right. Right. Uh, you, you made a new bird that now is something you're fired. passionate about, right? You know? Yes. Right? It has to, it's too much effort and time for you to not like what you're doing. Exactly. Way too exactly. much. Exactly. I've also thought too, it's with my school partners, also just telling them a bit about what is required in academia Mm, to just a bit, because I think sometimes there's this view that we can do anything or we, you know, have all the answers. And that's where I get very uncomfortable. It's like, you know, going into school and then they think I'm going to somehow have all the answers. Right. When I'm like, no, this is truly a partnership. Mm -hmm. All, you know, we have some resources. I can tell you what's out there, but I don't know fully. I mean, this is a partnership and Mm -hmm. kind of saying that up front because I don't have all the answers, but I do try to tell them like what I have to deal with, you know, (laughs) I kind of got to do this kind of got to play this part a bit. And oh yeah. Oh yeah. I think you, you have to, you have to be upfront that. Okay. Yeah. We can be, we, we are doing this because we're good humans and we want everybody to be great. We want these babies to read, but we're also researchers. I think we have to be honest in that. Oh, we love it. If there are opportunities where we can do some of this work together. But I think when you do those first few things, like you said, when you connect, when you champion their events, when you show that you're committed, they be like, Oh, we want to be a part of that study. I heard y'all are doing X, Y, Z. They, they are more interested because they are now invested in the partnership and they want to make sure they get a little bit of, oh, we heard y'all did a PLC over the summer. I want our teachers to go to a PLC. We collected data at that PLC. That PLC is going to get written up. You know what we did, the survey findings are all going to come. So it's, it's one of those things. I think when you it really is that circle because when you start doing it, it, it becomes iterative, but it also, you refine it. You can add new questions, make changes, say, hey, you know what? That part's not working. What else do we have going for us in this, in this logic model around our partnership? So that part is, is really fulfilling for me. Absolutely. I think it's breaking down the barriers too. Like as, you know, speaking to listeners now, I know I have listeners who are practitioners. I have listeners Mm -hmm. who are parents. I have listeners who are researchers um, and budding researchers and budding practitioners. I think it's breaking down those barriers because researchers talking to clinicians and educators and really making that commitment, but also educators on the podcast, reaching out to researchers, you know, you'd be very surprised how available and open researchers are 
to just talking to you and wanting to learn more. It's like such a gift. When I get an email from an educator or clinician, Mm -hmm. I just think like, what a gift that they reached out to me and I get to hear what's going on with them and start that relationship. It's right. You know, it's such an important thing to, I think, break down those barriers and everything you're doing is, Mm -hmm. is really breaking down those barriers. I'd love to hear more about the PLC as well. We, we had one person, I had a reading coach say to me after um, one of, one of the sessions I did, maybe at the end of December that they'd always felt that um, and this is no offense to anything, you know, FCR has had a, a beautiful long history, um, but they felt personally as an educator that it was always untouchable, mm-hmm. you know, like there was no, I couldn't go and ask for information. Mm-hmm. I was supposed to consume the information, right? So you have this information, you put it out there, I consume it, but they didn't feel, she, she literally said, I thought you all or untouchable. Like I couldn't make that connection. Yep. And I think us just opening ourselves up to do that work yes. has allowed so many of our community partners to see value in what we do. Um, one, in terms of the expertise, but to also feel like, hey, I want I want to make sure that FCRR has a seat at the table when it comes to XYZ, because I know they're going to ensure that when we're thinking about the literacy side of things, the language, the outcome, you know, those outcomes. And I always tell them, we work at a whole university. I may not know the answers. I'm not your math person, right? I'm not that person. I'm not even, I'm not the STEM person. You want to have these connections between literacy? I can't do that. But there's a whole university of people. And that's the benefit of that interdisciplinary work, right? And so you mentioned the PLC. That project was... Um, Last summer, two of our doctoral students um, facilitated the the IES K3 Foundational Reading Skills PLCs. We recruited um, teachers. uh, It was both teachers, it was SLPs, reading coaches. um, Even the principals attended, the admin attended these PLCs over the summer. They were, I think, 11 to 12 sessions, um, 75-minute sessions, and it was wonderful for these doctoral students who got to lead these PLCs. And if anyone's familiar with the IES um, practice guides, it has all of the stuff. Anybody can go and do this for free at your school, your site. Um, But having someone else come in, facilitate it, uh, having these times to debrief, having these opportunities. So the um, educators who were there um, really went through it. We did pre-post surveys around teacher knowledge and, and and self-efficacy around um, literacy. And we, in that very short period of time, did see some change in terms of their knowledge as well as self-efficacy, which was really, really cool and phenomenal. And um, the other cool part is as they were doing that part with the teachers, then of course, we gotta do something happy feely, touchy feely, right? We had a book fair, a free book fair, where all of the kids who were there who were attending um, summer school for just to get more enrichment around um, those literacy skills over the summer, they got to attend a free sponsored FCRR book fair. They got to choose two books. We had them separated out. And the most amazing part was each one of those kids, so many of them, I'm going to get this one for me, but I'm going to get this one for my little sister. Oh, I have a little cousin because they were like, well, can I get one from the from the kindergarten table, because my little sister, would, she loved that book, or she loved that character, and so being able to support the school on both sides, right, to, because we weren't doing things at that point, our county wasn't allowing us to do direct things with, with students, and so we were working with teachers, 
Um, but then to have kids then come and just attend this book fair, it, it was so, it's such a heartwarming feeling that then fills you up to do that next big tough thing, right? So. That's great. And so just for listeners who might not know, PLC stands for, for Professional Learning Community. Yes. Yes. yes, professional. So we come together and IES Institute of Educational Science, Education Sciences has these guides. And so it's like, mm-hmm. a, you know, a continuing uh, professional development you can do over right. time with right. guides to learn and have a community around learning like a book club, essentially, right. like working right. together. And, um, and I know schools do this, but it was so unique is you were working together too as mm-hmm. this research clinicians and then incorporating yeah. the kids at the end. And it's so cool. It, it was really fascinating because, you know, so often we do these kind of one and done PD sessions, yeah. professional development. You know, we have to do these things to where it's continuous. And, and we've even talked, we're still working with these schools, right? So now they have this structure for how to do this professional learning community or PLC around reading. Um, we recommended several books that the, you know, because the admin was like, well, what do we do next? Well, here are these books, and then you can take this book and do this book study for the PLC by the um, core resource guy, you know, like the source book, all these kinds of things in terms of these next steps, which is always impactful for, for the for the teachers in, in um, schools that we work with. That's so amazing. I, I love that. I think it's, it's such a ni- nice model. And I hope that uh, when we you know, attach the resources for the podcast, that some of the yeah. listeners will take a look and be inspired to do their own PLCs and their, their districts and their locations. Um, I'm mindful of the time. So I'm going to look at our last couple of questions. Um, what are you working on now that you're most excited about? Uh, a current project that is hopefully underway this summer. Um, I'm super, super excited about it. And it really connects well with what we're talking about because it's with our public library system. And so um, we do this, uh, FSU does a big give or great give. It's a 24 hour day of one day donating and uh, each university um, college unit research center can have a platform. And so last year, our platform was dedicated to putting these um, kiosks full of uh, materials in each school in Leon County, uh, where we are in Tallahassee. This time, it's going to actually be some work that benefits our local library system and many other community events. So we're going to be partnering with Maya's Book Nook. So here we are, merging all the things, right? Um, And we're creating these Book Nook bundles uh, that will have diverse books storybook guides, students center activities, props like extension activity materials that will go into libraries um, and, and you'll go, there'll be 20 in each library branch. We have seven library branches here, but we're also gonna, um, the plan is to put them in local community places where kids are. Laundromats, churches, community centers, barbershops, hair salons, et cetera, but we'll have these things. So the research side of this, of course, because we got to still do some research, our librarians, um, a part of their annual plan is to increase librarian knowledge around literacy. And so um, we're going to be, of course, they have their their youth um, storybook time, you know, story time, baby time, those birth to six kind of um, activities that 
they're doing. We're going to be doing a study with them where we're going to be introducing them to the science of reading and these connections between emergent literacy and oral language skills. So all of the things that they're doing um, during those baby time programming, um, make being able to really make those strong connections, we'll be teaching them strategies, we'll be doing some uh, observations, you know, pre-post to see as they take these modules with us, how they change over time. Um, those book nook bundles can be used within that. They'll have stay in place. So after you kind of gone to story time, parents can also check these book nook bundles out. So I'm extremely excited about it because one, we're increasing librarian knowledge because um, I don't know about um, there, but libraries all over the place are on a mission to become essential again. Like our libraries, it literally is called the Essential Libraries Initiative, where libraries used to be a central hub in our communities for so many things. And so uh, I'm excited about working with them around, uh, you know, there for a lot of families, they're going to be some of the first professionals that see this parent and child or caregiver child dyad combination and how they interact. And so it behooves us to help library equip them with even more knowledge. No, we're not gonna make the libraries SLPs or reading coaches, but we're gonna equip them with enough information that ties into what they're doing to where perhaps maybe, hey, this is a really, really cool thing that you could also get more information about with your child or if they ask questions because they're doing all these things. We want to ensure that they're providing high quality, um, you know, language rich environments that they see modeled in the library that parents then take and do at home and caregivers. So I'm super excited about that project. That's amazing. I mean, gosh, I mean, that's, that's, that's right there. It's fun, the it's fun right? It's, so fun. it's perfect combination, like you said, of what you've done with Maya's book neck and how that's all going to go together. And I'm and trying really, really hard, Tiffany, to make these things go together because I, I, I mean, it's hard. It's challenging. It can be really, really challenging to not get, and I don't, I mean, I know we talk about how amazing the village is, but I can also say that it is a lot of work because yeah. Yeah. you can't build strong partnerships without being available, yeah. which means I have to be available. And although we have a team, they know PT and they know Lakeisha yeah. and that's who they want. And so that means on top of all the other things that come along with being on faculty, you have to be in meeting after meeting after meeting. And I've, I've really tried to, even the work is hard, but I've tried really hard to, to be intentional this year with ensuring that I'm kind of merging these things. So this is kind of going to be the first go at it. This will be well, I'm glad you're doing pilot. it. I'm glad you're doing it. I wish you the best because I think that that's, yeah, I mean, that ties into the sustainability because if we are, you know, <laughs> And educators know this more than anyone. This is in for the long run and doing these right. extras without having some merging. Uh, it's just recipe for burnout, which I know we all are. So it's, it's, I'm so glad that you're putting this all together to make something that's going to be so impactful. I, I can't wait to hear about it. And then all of this stuff is going to be freely available on the website. So the same way that, you know, we do this work with the reading coaches, we can't we can't buy books for every school in our county and create these book nook bundles, but we can create this framework to where 
they can then go and do this exact same thing, do the training, talk about how do you implement, you know, um, you know, how do you connect this with your standards that you, you know, we're, we've made connections between all of these things. So then they could be able to go and do this, not just um, on the birth to six kind of a side with the library, but also in K to five for elementary students. So I'm excited about it. Oh, that's so great. You really have put the resources in the hands of uh, those across the world who are interested in making the same kind of impact in their own community. And that's, that's, uh, that's amazing. So amazing. So amazing. Well, now I'm going to ask you the hardest question that I ask everyone. And that is, especially for you. I I was dreading this. I know it's coming. I know it's coming. (laughs) What's your favorite book from childhood or now? Okay. So yes, you've already said it. It's terrible to ask a book blogger what their favorite book is. It is very terrible. Um, My favorite book from childhood was Corduroy. Um, And I'll say it's one of my favorites because as as a child growing up in rural South Carolina, I was fascinated to see this little brown girl go to what looked like a mall by herself with her own money and bought a toy I was so fascinated like that could be me like but I lived in rural South Carolina you had to get in the car to go anywhere because even we couldn't even trick or treat because the next house was so far down you gotta like get in the car for that so I thought it was amazing and it's one of my favorites because it's also a book that I can now share with Maya. So she loved, when she was younger, she loved Corduroy. And when um, Viola Davis, the actress, made the, a new Corduroy, a new version, I can't remember the title off the top of my head, but she made a newer version of it. And, and um, so that was super, super cool. In terms of books that I'm loving right now, I'll just tell you two. We love books that are affirming. And um, I've started giving these books out to my students. So when we have students leave our lab, graduate, there's um, I Am Enough by Grace Byers. That's what the women get. Uh, And it is really just a book full of affirmations. And then I Am Every Good Thing is what the men get. And so we haven't actually, I haven't had any male students to leave uh, to to finish with us so I'm, I'm maybe in the next few years we'll have actually we'll have a few that I'll finish in our first fireflies cohort but that one is a is a love letter to to black and brown boys about just how amazing they are and I find that you know sometimes with students when they leave our labs and they get ready to go out into the world of academia or even whatever their next steps are we sometimes just need those reminders that you are enough you are every good thing all that is coming to you is will be, you know, like all of those things. And literally, uh, I'm not in my my office, my work office today, but usually you'll see it's a bookshelf just full of children's books. Because I find that every so often there is the affirmation that I needed in one of those books. Yeah. And children's books just have an amazing way of telling stories. And so I think that's really why I still love to read them so much. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's, yeah. Wow, that's so fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time, Lakeisha, to tell us all about the amazing, amazing work you're doing. And I'm excited to share it with the listeners because I think they'll find it also to be so impactful in their own communities because the way you set it up 
with sustainability in mind um, and adaptability and accessibility, they can grab it and it can be matched to their community. So I appreciate so much you taking the time to talk to, to the listeners today and to me. And I appreciate you inviting me. It's been an honor. I really, really, really enjoyed myself today. Check out www.seehearspeakpodcast.com for helpful resources associated with this podcast, including, for example, the podcast transcript, research articles, and speaker bios. You can also sign up for email alerts on the website or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or any other listening platform so you can be the first to hear about new episodes. Thank you for listening and good luck to you, making the world a better place by helping one child at a time. Yeah, well, okay, funny random fact, during my PhD program, I had a nail blog, so like, so this, my book nook is not my first foray into blogging and websites. I had a very, very popular, I mean, like 20, 30,000 people kind of nail blog. Wow. Blog. And so I was literally, it's not in this room. I have an off, like those kind of, you know, the drawers from Michael's that like usually yeah. used to like craft stuff and they're like the Melmer drawer. I had probably 10 of those that was just nail polish because companies would send like OPI, China yeah. Glade, Zoya, like the main companies, they get new collections every season. Yeah. And so I literally, my husband always jokes, like we swapped out books for nail polish because that was my mindless kind of a thing. You know, I was, I was working as an SLP and um, being in the doc program and I needed some planning a wedding and all, yeah. and I needed something mindless. And so it was nail polish. Like, I wanted to be a hand model when I was a kid. I wanted to be Vanna White. I was going to be the first, I was going to be the first black Vanna White. <laughs> That's amazing. So I, I had a nail blog and that made the transition into my book make easy because I'd been kind of in the beauty blogging world for a few years. Yeah, it's called Refined and Polished. Do you still do it? No. I mean, because I, I was like, how do you even do that? that? I don't have time for that. No.